0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The majority of new cases of COVID-19 in the United States at the beginning of August are reported to be the Delta variant. My guest is going to help us understand why that's important. Dr. Elizabeth Asiago Reddy is Chief of Infectious Disease at Upstate University Hospital. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Asiago Reddy. Thank you for having me, Amber. The last time you were on HealthLink on Air, you helped us understand how viruses like the coronavirus mutate naturally as they replicate making slight changes in their genetic sequence and you explained that these mutations can make the virus different enough that it's identified as a new variant. Is that what happened with the Delta variant?
1: Yes, it definitely is. And in fact, um this variant when you look at it genetically; it, it has some unique features to it. But I think probably most importantly is how it's behaving clinically. Actually, Delta variant was first identified around the same time as some of the other variants that we initially became more concerned about. Those have been renamed, um, you know, Alpha, Beta, and Gamma, to try and really remove references to geography and more. Uh, make it references to how the virus behaves clinically. So Delta, I think uh, what we're seeing with it in terms of how it behaves clinically, and I do wanna emphasize that this is evolving, right? So as we speak, we're getting new information every day, but what we're finding about how Delta behaves is that it causes people to carry a larger amount of virus on average than what they were carrying with other forms of the virus in the past. And this larger amount of virus can be quite significant, up to a thousand times more virus on average in some small studies that have been done. And along with that comes a higher level of transmissibility. So we have just in the last one to two days, some information coming out from the Centers for Disease Control suggesting that this virus is as contagious as chickenpox, meaning that the number of people infected from one source person could be quite higher quite a bit higher than what we were seeing before up to potentially eight or nine people infected for each source person who has the original infection and that's probably about a doubling of what we were seeing in the past
0: and those two things are tied together the viral load being so high means there's so much more virus that a person can spread is is that why it's more contagious that's what it seems to be.
1: Yeah, that, that's what it likely seems to be. And there, there may additionally be other features such as the ability of the virus to attach itself to the appropriate receptors in our respiratory system to allow it to get in that may also increase the infectivity of the virus.
0: Now, as this Delta variant is out there, has the original SARS-CoV-2 virus died out or is it still out there too?
1: That's an excellent question. And some of that really uh, is limited by where sequencing is being done and how much sequencing is being done throughout the world. So I'm sure that there are various forms of virus that appear more similar to the original strain, but it actually right now, Delta appears to be predominating most of the places where we're looking for it. And I think it's really important to highlight that this is all relatively new within the last few months. And it's important for us to keep in mind as we think forward the fact that this has happened so relatively quickly and what that might mean for the future.
0: So the Delta cases seem to be arising mostly in communities with low vaccination rates. Does that mean that the vaccinations are generally working well against the Delta variant? Yes. I I do
1: want to highlight, and I think it's critical to highlight that while we have concerns about potentially a small degree of lower effectivity of the vaccines against Delta variant by and large, they are effective. So, one of the things I've been talking about recently is how when vaccines were first created for coronavirus, our goal actually was by and large to avoid severe hospitalization and death. That, that's really the goal is to eliminate the most severe cases so that we can you know pretty much carry on about our daily lives without worrying that we're going to die on, on a regular basis. What ended up happening is that the initial results from the vaccine trials actually outperformed our wildest expectations in terms of uh, initially appearing to prevent most illness Completely. So people weren't even getting sick at all. They weren't carrying virus at all. That was a fabulous outcome, but it was actually more than even what we would have initially expected and more than necessarily what's totally needed from a vaccine. So I I think we do need to keep perspective on the fact that the vaccines are for the most part still preventing serious disease and death. So the breakthrough uh, cases that are occurring appear to be much milder than um, people who are not vaccinated. The vast majority of them are not ending up in the hospital. And again, these data are being updated on a very regular basis, but the most recent data that I've seen are saying that 97% of people who have been hospitalized recently are unvaccinated. So this is still very much a severe disease among unvaccinated people
0: but getting back to the breakthrough infections if a person who's vaccinated comes down with you know the delta variant do they get the same symptoms as someone who's um, not vaccinated it appears that
1: mostly they do and and that's because so aside from the severe symptoms right so this is a respiratory virus that has all the typical features of respiratory viruses and that varies uh, quite a bit from person to person. So um, what one person gets is not necessarily exactly the same as what another person gets. You know, some people get a scratchy throat, some people get a stuffed up nose, some people get a cough immediately, others don't. Um, But it is by and large a respiratory illness that may have generalized features of, um, you know, overall body malaise, you know, feeling terrible, feeling fatigued, um having fevers even having uh, gastrointestinal symptoms all of those things are possible um it doesn't look like the spectrum has changed very much with the possible exception of maybe a little bit less of this loss of taste and smell with the delta variant compared to others Um, but that i don't think that's very clinically helpful because it was important for us to maintain a high index of suspicion even before with You know, all of the variants of COVID that we've been dealing with, which is, you know, that if you have a respiratory illness, you need to consider that it, it could be COVID until proven otherwise. And I think that that really holds.
0: But if you're vaccinated and you do become infected, you're much less likely to be hospitalized. Absolutely.
1: And those symptoms. So, you know, when I think about some of my friends who got sick in the first wave, I have friends who, you know, they didn't end up in the hospital, but they were, Taken out, I mean, they were in bed for an entire 2 weeks with high fevers couldn't do anything. were absolutely miserable. You know, a, a much more typical scenario now for somebody who doesn't end up in the hospital, but is is vaccinated would be you have a minor cold. And you're done
0: now the United Kingdom has reported up to 12% of vaccinated people are developing breakthrough infections with the Delta variant. Is that in line with what we're seeing or are likely to see in the United States? So far,
1: it's not fully in line with what we're seeing in the United States and it's not exactly clear why that is. So obviously the vaccines that were used in the UK were different. Um, So they were by and large using the AstraZeneca AstraZeneca vaccine, which is different than most of the vaccines here, um, which were primarily Pfizer, then Moderna and then J&J. Um, the other difference here in the United States right now is that we have these uh, fa- fairly wide variability in pockets of unvaccinated individuals. So, we're what we're seeing right now is that when vaccination rates are less than 40% or so, there's really this hyper-endemicity that's going on. Some of that, I think, is probably at least partially weather-driven, right? So the some of these areas that are experiencing huge spikes right now are in hotter uh, parts of the country um, where we did see this last year a little bit that people are being driven inside probably by air conditioning and congregating inside more, thus increasing the, the likelihood of spread. So I think those are two separate factors that are going on. So a concentration of unvaccinated individuals, um, possibly together with some weather-related features that are are making things particularly bad for some communities. What is going to happen? You know, for example, in Onondaga County, where we are right now, you um, know, as the weather gets colder, I, I think is a is is a very good question. We do have much higher vaccination rates than some of the parts of the country that are having a lot of difficulties right now, um, but we have persistently seen our own cold weather phenomenon with respiratory viruses significantly increasing in the cold weather. So I I think we do have to be very much on the alert to that. With respect to the proportion of vaccinated people who are experiencing breakthrough infections, so far in the US, it looks more like a fraction of a percentage. Um, But I, I do wanna be cautious about that because we're in a different point with the wave of Delta compared to the UK, compared to Israel. Um, so I, I, I'm, I think we need to be on the alert.
0: Is the chief worry with breakthrough infections that a vaccinated person, even if they're not seriously ill themselves, could still pass that virus along to someone else? Absolutely.
1: This is exactly the concern. And, I think the recent data seem to be suggesting that that might be the case, but it's so new that it's hard for me to point to, and I always prefer to point to exact studies and data, which are still not largely available at this point, but we have reports from the CDC that this may be the case. So I, I think this is exactly what we need to be alert to and exactly why the CDC has changed their guidance in recent days to say that in communities where there's a high level of spread, that even vaccinated people need to wear masks. So going back to what we were reminded of last year, masks offer the best protection when people who are infected but unaware are wearing a mask. So that is the absolute best way for masks to work is that anyone who's carrying the virus, but doesn't know it, of course, if you're carrying the virus and you know it, you should be at home, right? So um, so if you're carrying the virus and you don't know it, um, and you're out and about, if you are wearing a mask, you are much less likely to spread that to other people. Um, so, you know, the situation in May when the CDC said, okay, people who are vaccinated can stop wearing masks was under the assumption that the vaccines were so highly effective that those individuals were no longer going to be carrying virus because they've been vaccinated. So, because we don't necessarily know that to be the case with the Delta variant, in places where there is a lot of circulating virus you can assume that at least some vaccinated people are likely to have asymptomatic infections and so to protect the rest of the community they should wear masks
0: Upstate's HealthLink on Air will be right back with more about the Delta variant with Upstate's Infectious Disease Chief Dr. Elizabeth Asiago Reddy this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host Amber Smith talking with Dr. Elizabeth Asiago Reddy, the Chief of Infectious Disease at Upstate University Hospital. We're talking about the coronavirus Delta variant. In a previous interview in June, Dr. Asiago Reddy explained the behavior of viruses and how variants form. You can find that interview at healthlinkonair.org by searching for COVID-19. Now, Dr. Reddy, I want to ask you about what distinguishes the Delta variant from the original coronavirus clinically. What symptoms of illness appear in people who are infected with the Delta variant, and how do they differ from regular COVID symptoms?
1: We actually, like I said before, we don't have a whole lot of information to suggest that the symptoms are very different. The critical feature is that people who are unvaccinated can get sick quicker. So I think um, that's not really a symptom change, but it is an incubation period change. So it looks like um, people who are exposed to Delta variant are likely to exhibit symptoms within about three days as opposed to five days with the previous previous variants of the virus. Now, again, that's still different from person to person. So does it mean that somebody couldn't show symptoms after five days? No, but on average, the symptoms are appearing a little bit sooner than they would. So, you know, if for example, you were just exposed and two days later, you're rip-roaring with symptoms and you're thinking, oh, that can't be it because I was just exposed, then that is not an accurate assumption. And it really could be that in fact, you have gotten sick with Delta variant. So that's probably the critical one. Otherwise, um, you know, anything from, Nasal congestion, sore throat, cough, fevers, chills, um, shortness of breath, particularly, again, for people who have been unvaccinated, those are all uh, consistent symptoms that we've seen across the different variants.
0: Is the Delta variant affecting more younger people than the original coronavirus, or are children more susceptible to this variant?
1: This again is somehow being confounded by the fact that we have not been able to vaccinate people under the age of 12, right? So, and then also that if you look at the proportions of adults and adolescents who are eligible for the vaccine, there is a clear linear association with increased age and increased vaccination. Okay, so um, I think many older individuals felt a lot more comfortable of taking the vaccine And they also were the people who were most severely infected by uh, affected by the initial waves of the virus. So, yes, we are seeing more younger people in the hospital with Delta variant, but is that because of lack of vaccination among those subgroups that that could be just as likely. So it may not be that this is more severe. It may be, we're still trying to sort that out, Um, but a lot of it relates to lack of vaccination in those particular groups of people. Um, and the other 1 that we talked about earlier is the amount of virus. Okay. So, um, so children do not have as much of the receptor that this virus enters the body through. So, their respiratory tracts are not as enriched for that receptor as adults are, which is 1 of the reasons why we thought that children were less overall affected by this virus than adults were. However, when you start to look at these very, very high concentrations of virus that we're seeing with Delta variant, along with the possibility of an increased ability to move into cells once it it hits that receptor, then you may end up in a situation where children are more likely to be impacted than they were with previous forms of the virus. So I, I think we are going to have to, again, be very much on the alert as schools reopen And uh, it looks like I think we're in all likelihood in this area going to be uh, continuing with mask mandates in school. And I, I think those really need to be very strictly enforced. We need to think about this the same way that we did and with the same level of caution, if not even more than we did when we got kids together last year.
0: Can I ask you about what the treatment is like for someone with the Delta variant? Are these people being treated differently than people early in the pandemic?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, For the most part, the treatment is the same. Um, It is important to highlight that uh, one of the available treatments is monoclonal antibodies, which are antibodies that have been produced in a lab to combat the virus. And those antibodies were best given and are best given very shortly after the onset of illness. So they they must be given within 10 days of the knowledge of infection. So the first symptom or, or positive test but they, um, they, are, they are most effective when given even within the first like, one to five days um, after the onset of infection. And they significantly reduce the likelihood of somebody developing severe disease. So um, there are a, there's a whole list of people who are eligible for those based on their likelihood of progressing to severe disease. And it's important to note that several of the previous preparations that we were using of monoclonal antibodies are no longer effective against the current circulating variants. However, we do have at this point, as I speak, one preparation that remains effective. So it is important for people who have underlying um, comorbidities, which are many, um, or even just want to find out if they are eligible for this, if they're, if they're sick, to reach out to their primary healthcare provider and find out if they have access to it. Uh, The other feature that I think is going to improve access quite a bit over the coming months is that the um, current cocktail that is available is also available for a subcutaneous injection instead of an infusion, if it's required to give it in that format. So it's preferred to give it as an infusion, but if you are unable to get somebody into a place where they can get an infusion, you can give it as a subcutaneous injection. So that I think will also expand people's ability to access these treatments. Otherwise, aside from the monoclonal antibodies, um, we're pretty much dealing with the same uh, set of treatments that we were dealing with previously.
0: Is convalescent plasma still being used where you take the blood of someone who has survived the virus and turn it into medication for someone who's sick with it?
1: Yeah, that's that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you, that that also is an exception to what I've said. By and large, the plasma data have not been as good as we would have hoped. Um, It's very difficult to study some of these things because um, they weren't always given in very clear-cut randomized controlled trials with ability to control for a lot of different factors. But, yes, it's it's possible that the plasma treatments are are somewhat less effective. That is something that I, I think will be the subject of ongoing research.
0: Are people who already had COVID early in the pandemic at risk for getting this new variant?
1: People who have previously had COVID are at risk for recurrent infections, and they respond very, very well to vaccines. So, I definitely recommend that anyone who has had COVID in the past, if you haven't already been vaccinated, that you receive a vaccine. If you look at the antibody profiles of people, so the levels of antibodies that you would expect in somebody who is well protected, are they jump right up when people who have had COVID receive an initial dose of the vaccine suggesting that that vaccine dose is quite important and um, quite protective for those individuals. So it is important. Don't think that just because you had COVID, you are totally immune.
0: Now, even though the Delta variant is here in in the community, it's still not too late to get vaccinated, right? Absolutely not,
1: (laughs) it's definitely not too late. I would very much encourage people. In fact, this is the time and I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because what we're seeing with our numbers in Onondaga County is a rise over the last week or so into numbers that look very similar to my eyes as what we saw last October. And if people remember last October was what set off a whole series of, um you know, rapid rises in case numbers throughout the remaining months of the winter that really put our hospital systems a, a significant strain and impacted people's ability to access the kind of care and services that they need for regular healthcare. Um, so it, it's very important for our community to, to take this seriously, to not just think that, oh, because we're overall a, a heavily vaccinated county that we're fine. Um, or that um, I'm too scared, so I'm not gonna do it, or I'm not exposed, uh, all those things really impact our entire community. The more people we can get vaccinated, the better, both on an individual level for each person and for the entire community.
0: Now, regarding mask wearing, I know that recommendations are changing sort of day by day or location by location, and you mentioned you know, school. But even before school starts, should people be wearing masks in our community where the vaccination rates are, are pretty decent? Um, is there still a risk when you go to the grocery store or when you go to a restaurant? Do people still need to be protecting themselves with a mask?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I have recently started to wear my mask again and, and, and basically all settings where I'm not aware of the vaccination status of other people. And I, um, I do that in part really as an example to others, even though of course, nobody knows by looking at me what my, what my vaccination status is. Um, but I think it is important for us to start showing off those masks again, because this is going to become a big issue. I also am concerned about not just, you know, we always bring up grocery stores, restaurant and bars, right? So restaurants and bars do present unique risks, which is extremely unfortunate because the restaurant and bar industry has just been through a horrible, horrible time. They're just coming back and to have this happen right now is it's an absolute tragedy for people who run these businesses and for, you know, for our, all, all of our enjoyment associated with, with going to such places. Um, but. You know, obviously by nature, any environment where you have to remove your mask and particularly if you're in close and close quarters with other people, such as might happen, especially in a bar. That's a risky environment. It really is. And it does concern me as a location where we could start seeing transmissions happen again. Um, What I'm also really worried about, though, is. Just uh, personal gatherings through most of the epidemic that is actually where. The vast majority of transmissions are happening so we talk about these super spreader events we talk about large venue events are those risky absolutely they can be risky um, especially if they're indoors people are in very close contact etc but throughout all of this it's people getting together for birthday parties for retirement parties for weddings for Family gatherings, that is, it it accounts for really, I I would venture to say the lion's share of the transmission throughout the country. And I think that we have to start thinking about that again, which is again, very, very sad because we've all enjoyed getting together so much more over the last couple of months than we have been able to. But um, what I'm seeing in my own friends, um, and I would say less so family because I have a a family that's uh, extremely vaccine vigilant, But among friends is that there is a reluctance among many people to ask about vaccination status, to be concerned about vaccination status, to be concerned about what people have been doing or who they might have been in contact with. That's kind of dropped off the radar screen where it was very much a part of our conversations, even just three or four months ago. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous because if we're getting together with people and we have no idea who their contacts are and nobody's wearing a mask, that's exactly where this is gonna start uh, heavily transmitting again.
0: Upstate is one of five laboratories across the state that is doing genetic sequencing of specimens positive for SARS-CoV-2 in order to monitor for emerging variants. How soon do you think we might learn of some variant beyond Delta?
1: Yeah, that lab run by Dr. Middleton has just been fabulous. It's really set a a local and even a national example, I would say, in keeping ahead of variants and examining the impacts of variants um, across the state. So uh, I I think it's really a a boon to our area that we have it. And then also that New York State has been um, proactive in identifying this lab as well as others, Rochester, Buffalo, uh, there's a couple of different ones that are being utilized to try and really keep up with what's happening. Um, you know, the virus will will show itself eventually. We, we have seen various variants kind of come and go to a certain extent um, and not prove to be what we originally anticipated they were going to be. And then others really, um, you know, I, I would say the Alpha variant and the Delta variant are the ones that have uh, proven themselves to be remarkably fit and transmissible and capable of um of becoming dominant in various communities so it's it is important it is very much important to keep an eye on this stuff because it at some point like i said the virus declares itself and you start to see a very um clear predominance that you need to pay attention to and so the more that we have different people working together to try and keep ahead of that and get more and more specimens analyzed. The, the better we're going to be able to make predictions and do studies.
0: Now, based on the variants that are seen, is that what will determine whether we need a booster for the vaccine?
1: It's a yes. There's a there's a combination of variants, and then there's also um, a, the study of the antibody levels that we have and how those correlate with protection. So. at least in the ongoing studies that are being looked at right now, there are two features that are being examined heavily. One is, what are the level of antibodies that people have over time? And the other is, what do they get sick or not? So obviously, do they get sick or not is, is by far and away most important, but it takes longer to gather that information and see how clinically significant it is because there are a lot of different factors that go into that, such as people's behavior, where they live, et cetera, et cetera so um so the goal over time is going to be to do our best to correlate levels of antibodies with what actually happens and how, and whether or not people get sick and try to come up with some standards that will allow us to make predictions about when people might need a booster so that's how we do it with other types of illnesses is that once the it's likely that people have on average reached a certain threshold where their levels of antibodies are no longer Correlated with a good level of protection that's when they need a booster. So that's what we're trying to look for as we move forward with the studies that are ongoing.
0: So, we really don't know yet how long vaccine immunity lasts. Exactly we don't we, we are
1: starting to have some signals that there may be some waning and it's hard to. Figure out how much of that is variant related versus vaccine related, because everything is happening all at once. And then, um you know, not only that, but also, like I said, we need to really get a better sense for um, whether or not somebody's blood level of antibodies correlates with whether or not they're gonna get sick.
0: Do we know how long a natural immunity lasts after someone who's survived the virus? Do they have an immunity for a certain period of time?
1: They do, and it, but it, it does wane and it's variable. So that's a great question. Um, at It's highly unlikely that within three months after an initial infection, somebody will, um, actually acquire a de novo infection. That appears to be almost uh, almost impossible. Um. Again, with the exception of profoundly immune suppressed people for whom all bets are kind of off. Um, and within 6 months, again, still highly unlikely after 6 months, it does look like your risk starts to go up again.
0: Well thank you so much to Upstate's Chief of Infectious Disease Dr. Elizabeth Asiago Reddy. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show HealthLink on Air.